Good morning, everyone. So here we are at the very climax, shall we say, of Acts, and it's such a wonderful story, and uh, most notably, it is an eyewitness account from Luke, and we will see that in some of the reading today. So please join me as we read on the screen for you, or be happy to just listen to it being read. Uh, Acts chapter 28, and we're reading from verse 11. This is Paul's arrival at Rome. After three months, we put out to sea in a ship that had wintered in the island. It was an Alexandrian ship with a figurehead of the twin gods, Castor and Pollux. We put in at Syracuse and stayed there three days. From there, we set sail and arrived in Regium. The next day, the south wind came up and on the following day, we reached Purioli. There we found some brothers and sisters who invited us to spend a week with them, and so we came to Rome. The brothers and sisters there had heard that we were coming, and they travelled as far as the Forum of Appius and the Three Taverns to meet us. At the sight of these people, Paul thanked God and was encouraged. When we got to Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with a soldier to guard him. Three days later, he called together the local Jewish leaders. When they had assembled, Paul said to them, My brothers, although I have done nothing against our people or against the customs of our ancestors, I was arrested in Jerusalem and handed over to the Romans. They examined me and wanted to release me because I was not guilty of any crime deserving death. The Jews objected. So I was compelled to make an appeal to Caesar. I certainly did not intend to bring any charge against my own people. For this reason, I have asked to see you and talk with you. It is because of the hope of Israel that I am bound with this chain. They replied, We have not received any letters from Judea concerning you, and none of our people who have come from there has reported or said anything bad about you. But we want to hear what your, your views are, for we know that people everywhere are talking against this sect. They arranged to meet Paul on a certain day and came in even larger numbers to the place where he was staying. He witnessed to them from morning till evening, explaining about the kingdom of God and from the law of Moses and from the prophets. He tried to persuade them about Jesus. Some were convinced by what he said, but others would not believe. They disagreed amongst themselves and began to leave after Paul had made his final statement. The Holy Spirit spoke, to the, tr spoke the truth to your ancestors when he said through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will be ever hearing, but never understand. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears and have closed their eyes. Otherwise they might not might see with their eyes and hear with their ears, understand with their hearts and turn and I would heal them. Therefore I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles and they will listen. For two whole years Paul stayed there in his own rented home and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God 
and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Thanks for the reading, David. Uh, if you are new or visiting, my name's Rod. I'm one of the pastors here at WBC. It's great that you can join us for this final instalment of this longish series over the last couple of years on and off. Um, but as we come to this uh, section of God's Word, let me pray for us, ask that God would really help us to respond. There is much in this final section that will challenge us again this morning. So let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you are a speaking God, that you've revealed yourself through your word and ultimately in the person of your Son, the Lord Jesus. And so we ask that your word, which is living and active, might challenge us afresh again this morning. Help us to hear your voice clearly and to feel the challenge of responding to it. We ask that we might see ourselves in light of your work through Paul and the early church and our ongoing responsibility even this day. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, on Christmas Eve in 1974, Cyclone Tracy hit Darwin. It was not a particularly big cyclone and its effect was surprisingly devastating. It was in part because... It had seemed like the storm was going to pass and then it changed direction at the last moment and it hit Darwin directly head on. It was also the fact that it was Christmas Eve and people were kind of in denial, not thinking that such a disaster could unfold right on Christmas. So people continued with their activities thinking things would be all right. And the result was that Tracy killed 71 people, caused $837 million in damage destroyed more than 70% of the buildings in Darwin, 80% of the homes. And what that meant was that 41,000 out of the 46,000 that lived there at the time were made homeless immediately and led to 35,000 needing to be evacuated from the city. Now, most of that group, 60% of Darwin's population, never returned. It was just too much. They resettled elsewhere in Australia. Bruce Stannard, who was a journalist at the time writing for the Age newspaper, uh, spoke about Cyclone Tracy in this way. This is a disaster of the first magnitude. It is without parallel in Australia's history to this point. But what is amazingly eerie, of course, about any cyclone, not just Tracy, is that you have this eye of the storm in the middle that is usually cloudless and calm, no rain, very light winds. And yet all around that eye there is raging cyclonic winds, uh, gale force pace. In the case of Cyclone Tracy, uh, the eye of the storm was 12 kilometres in diameter. So you had this whole space that would pass back and forth over the city that was completely calm. But outside of that, there was 40 kilometres of raging cyclonic winds. Now, I, I speak about the cyclone because I think the cyclone is a helpful metaphor for us to understand what's going on in Paul's life in the final chapters of the book of Acts. We saw last week that there's this huge crescendo of suffering and difficulty as his journey was taking place across the Mediterranean. We have the shipwreck, and then they get land on the island of Malta. He's bitten by a snake. Everything seems to be going wrong. It's adding to the many things that Paul has already gone through by this point. 
so that when we get to this final section, these final verses of chapter 28, it's almost a shock because it's like this quiet travel log where he's, you know, on a modern day holiday just wandering around Italy because everything is calm. He has friends helping him. He travels into the city and everything runs swimmingly. It's in such contrast to everything that has just gone before it. And of course, Unfortunately, the raging storm will continue. He's going to have two years of peace and calm in a rented house where he's under guard, yes, but he's free to share the good news and so forth. But that two-year period will end and suffering will return and ultimately he will be executed under the rule of Emperor Nero. And so this final part of chapter 28, we find ourselves in the eye of the storm. Everything is suddenly calm, surprisingly so so that Paul might find encouragement as he heads towards his final opportunity to testify. Now, we've seen over the last few weeks, Paul was absolutely convinced that he would get to Rome safely because God had told him. We saw back in chapter 23, verse 11, that God said, not only will you testify to me in Jerusalem, but also in Rome. And so Paul knows he's going to make it to his destination. All roads led to Rome at the time, but... The book of Acts draws to a close and we find ourselves in this lull, surprisingly quiet. So as the narrative draws to a conclusion here, I think we're left with a big question. We've had all this anticipation of Paul going to Rome, of him sharing the good news there, and then the story kind of seems to almost peter out. There's just this quiet ending and we don't even hear about Paul's death. And I think we're left wondering, well, how will Christ's mission continue the whole book of Acts has been about the risen Lord Jesus seeing the gospel go forward. And he's been doing that through the apostles in the early church. We've heard 30 years of the early church through the book of Acts. But what now? Does the story just end? How does it continue? How will Christ's mission continue? Two answers to that question this morning. The first answer is this, by using and strengthening the weak by using and strengthening the weak. It seems like an unlikely way forward, but let me explain. Have a look again at verses 13 to 16. From there, this is Luke writing, we set sail and arrived at Regium. The next day the south wind came up and on the following day we reached Patoli. There we found some brothers and sisters who invited us to spend a week with them and so we came to Rome. The brothers and sisters there had heard that we were coming and they travelled as far as the Forum of Appius and the three taverns to meet us. At the sight of these people, Paul thanked God and was encouraged. When we got to Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with a soldier to guard him. So we've had the crazy shipwreck, they've landed on Malta, they finally, after three months spending the winter there, get a ship that has been um, resting there in that period takes them to Syracuse, which is on Sicily. They go to that little island of Sicily. You can see on the map that will follow. Um, they then travel from Sicily across to the southern tip of um, Italy at the time, Regium. And then they're going to sail their ship up the coast from Regium to Patoli. And he gets to Patoli, and somehow Paul the prisoner 
gets to spend a week holiday with his friends. Uh, he's taken in by a bunch of Christians that know him, meet him at Patoli. We don't know how this happened, but obviously he was given a lot of trust and freedom by this point by the Roman commander, and he's able to have like this mini holiday before he will go to Rome and be incarcerated. And so there's great encouragement suddenly for him there after all the craziness to this point. Suddenly, he's welcomed by fellow believers. He has a week with them in Patoli. And then they're going to walk the final distance from there up to Rome. And they're walking along the Appian Way. I mean, you can walk along the Appian Way today. It was very well constructed. It was part of what eventually became 50,000 miles of roads that the Romans built. But this was the most famous because it led from the south of Italy right into the centre of the city. And so here is Paul walking along the Appian Way and as he's going, getting closer to Rome, he's met twice by two further groups of Christians. First, at the Forum of Appius, that's 43 miles out from Rome on the Appian Way. These were all marked. They had milestone markers all the way along. Um, then when he gets 20 miles from Rome, he's met by another group at the Three Taverns, which was a couple of, uh, you know, three houses that were there that marked that spot uh, that people would stop over at for travellers. Another group of Christians meet him there and escort him. So it's hard to imagine this, isn't it? Paul the prisoner being taken to Rome, but by the time he's getting to Rome, he's got this huge entourage of Christians. It's like he's marching into the city in victory as if he's the emperor rather than somebody in chains. And God has worked amazingly through this set of circumstances to strengthen Paul. And I think that's the point of this first part of the passage. Paul is being strengthened. He is weak physically at this point. He's been through so much. And he needs God's encouragement before he will testify in Rome and the opportunities that lie ahead. And so God sends him these fellow believers that are in great encouragement to him, first to Patoli and then these groups that escort him into Rome. Incredible, really, so much so that Paul gives thanks out loud. He is so encouraged by these groups that meet him on the Appian Way to take him into Rome, as it were. And then eventually, verse 16, even as he reaches Rome, there is the encouragement that he is given private quarters. Yes, he has a guard, but it's like he's just under house arrest and there is some freedom there. Consider how God has encouraged him on this final leg of what has been an arduous and crazy journey to prepare him in this lull for the storms that are yet ahead. Now, Paul himself, of course, elsewhere in 2 Corinthians 11, gives this incredible summary of everything he had gone through. This is the last 20 years of his life on these three missionary journeys, and this is what had happened to him. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, in danger from false believers. I've labored and toiled. I've gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst. And he still goes on further in 2 Corinthians 11. It's incredible what this guy has gone through in serving Christ and taking the gospel to the Gentiles. I think we see him as this bulletproof figure that just can do all this. But think of the toll that that has taken on him by this point as he's finally entering Rome. How gracious and merciful of God that he strengthens him, Paul in his physical weakness, no doubt at this point, 
perhaps emotionally and spiritually worn down by all that he's gone through, to have these Christians, brothers and sisters, come alongside him and spur him on for what's ahead in Rome. Paul had faced so much, but here is great encouragement from the Lord, strengthening him to testify to God's grace yet still. And I think so often we think, you know, that in our weakness we can't do much. How can God use me and my opportunities today? But God delights to use those who are weak because it's then that his strength shines all the more. If Paul had marched in on top of the world with none of those things having happened to him, would God have used him in the way that he did, even in Rome in jail? It seems unlikely. God delights to strengthen the weak so that his good news will continue to go forth and it's never limited by us and where we're at. I don't know if you know the story of William Sangster. Uh, in 1939, he became the pastor of the largest Methodist church in England, uh, based in London, right near Westminster Abbey. It was where John Wesley had set up um, a church there, and he became known as Wesley's great successor. He was very esteemed in that day. He was one of the most loved preachers of that era in London. Um, and, of course, he became the pastor as World War II commenced, and they used their building, their basement, to see thousands of people in London sheltered through all the bombings that would then follow in the years that followed. He worked around the clock, basically, for five or six years, caring for people, administering, sharing the good news with them as they came through this church, only on the back of that, shortly after the war, to be diagnosed with progressive muscular atrophy. And then for three years, he would slowly decline, progressively become more paralyzed before he died. But Sangster's attitude did not falter in any of that time. He continued to count his blessings. He continued to minister as he was able in the church there, witnessing to the people kept thanking God for the ability he still had to write, even where some of his other bodily functions limited what he could do. The work of God, many said, was most displayed in him, as well-known a figure as he had been, through this final phase of his life, where things were really difficult and God's strength was seen in his weakness. God is never limited by our physical ability, by our weakness. Now, perhaps you can't relate to such a story. You haven't gone through such physical weakness or suffering yourself. I know there are some in our church that have. Um, but perhaps um, for you, it's, you know, perhaps more the sense of being unable to be effective, feeling emotionally or spiritually weak to be able to share the good news, to serve the Lord, to be effective for him as a witness is something that you felt is just difficult. Perhaps you felt like Paul must have at times, confined as he was in prison, unable to do quite what he would like to do, feeling limited by our own weaknesses. Again, we need to realize that God will continue to do his work. He is not confined by our abilities, our spiritual, physical, emotional weakness. None of these things matter. God can use his people in whatever circumstances. Some of the best missionaries that have gone down in history that we know as household names today felt very ineffective in most of their ministry. That's often forgotten by us. You know, they saw a lot of sowing of seed at times, but very little reaping or harvesting. 
William Carey is often called the father of modern missions. He laboured for seven years in India before he saw his first convert. Seven years. He was in that time trying to translate the Bible, yes, into various Indian languages and seeking to do all kinds of things, but seven years before he saw any fruit. I don't know what it is about seven years, but Adoniram Judson, the first American missionary, went to Burma. Same thing, seven years before he saw a convert in that country. Again, um, Robert Morrison, the founder of Protestant missions in China, seven years before he saw anyone come to faith in China. Another example is in 1939, um, the first Sudan Interior Mission, which became known as SIM Agency, they went to Doro in southern Sudan. Uh, they shared the gospel with the Maban people to begin with and then other tribes. Um, they were there for 25 years until 1964 when they were forced out due to the Civil War. They had seen only a handful of people become Christians by that time. And they thought, you know, it's all been for not much. Uh, three missionaries had died and been buried in Doro in that 25 years. Very little fruit. They were able to come back some years later after the Civil War had finished and things had settled down, and they were completely shocked to find huge groups of believers who were sharing their faith and 300 people waiting to be baptised. How is this possible? Well, because God works in weakness. He is not limited. We must never underestimate what God is doing, even through our smallest efforts to see the good news shared with others so that he might be at work in helping people to respond. And that brings me to a second answer to this question, second answer to how Christ's mission will continue. Not only will he strengthen weak people to be used by him, but secondly, he will continue to ensure that the gospel goes to the Gentiles. The gospel will keep going out. Have a look again at verses 23 to 25. Luke writes, they arranged, this is the Jews, to meet Paul on a certain day. This was actually three days after he'd arrived in Rome. Three days, he's locked in his house arrest. He's arranged to meet the leaders in Rome. And they came in even larger numbers to the place where he was staying. He witnessed to them from morning till evening, explaining about the kingdom of God and from the law of Moses and from the prophets. He tried to persuade them about Jesus. Some were convinced by what he said, but others would not believe. They disagreed among themselves and began to leave. We've seen this pattern throughout the whole of the book of Acts, right? Uh, first to the Jew, then to the Gentiles, Romans 1.16. Paul continued that approach throughout his ministry. First try and reach his fellow countrymen, and then if they turned away or were aggressive and rejected him, then he would turn to the Gentiles in that place and continue to minister and share the good news. He does the same even as he gets to Rome, even as he's under house arrest. He calls the Jewish leaders to him, and he explains the gospel from the Old Testament. So he walks through all of the law and the prophets in the Old Testament, showing all the points that showed a connection through to Christ and that Jesus was the Messiah they were waiting for. That would have been some sermon, morning till evening. <laughs> so he has an effect. Some, as often was the case, believed, but then many reject. They don't want to hear what he is sharing. And it reaches a point where they are no longer interested. Now, it's, it's interesting because um, to begin with, before he had that opportunity to share, he was assuming that he would be on the back foot. 
Um, when he first called them together, the leaders in his house, he was assuming that they had would have received a letter from Jerusalem saying, have nothing to do with this man Paul. We tried to kill him. We had him jailed there. The Romans wouldn't let us do this and that. And now that he's appealed to Caesar and he's come to you, have nothing to do with this man. But no, not a word. And so they're actually positively inclined towards Paul as he begins in Rome. And so it gives him this opportunity to share the good news. And he does so. But the same division in the end as he continues to hold out the gospel to them. And so he concludes his message to them in verses 28 to 31 uh, with these words. As he announces his attention, we'll therefore have to turn to the Gentiles. Verse 28, therefore I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles and they will listen. And for two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. It's an incredible finish to the book at one level. Um, As I said, there's this lull in the storm. Paul has this opportunity to share with relative freedom despite being a prisoner And it seems for the next two years he had Gentiles coming to his house, he witnessed wherever he could as people interacted with him, the guards and so forth. And of course in this time he wrote several letters while he was in jail. We know that um, Galatians, uh, Ephesians, Philippians were all written in this period, uh, the pastoral epistles while he's in jail in Rome. And we don't really get told by Luke who he spoke to or what effect he was having while he was in Rome, but these letters that he writes give us an insight into what unfolded and it's so helpful in this regard. So have a look at this, Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 to 14. Here is the effect that Paul was having even in jail in Rome. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. That's incredible, isn't it? I mean, he's witnessing to all the guards that are coming and looking after him, all the palace guard. He even signs off his letter to the Philippians with these words, which indicate his evangelistic fruitfulness. Philippians 4 verse 22, writing to this church, he says, All God's people here, that is in Rome, send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. Caesar's household? I mean, the guy that's going to execute him in a couple of years, he's converted half of his family and household and servants that are there through being in jail. It's incredible, Paul's impact. And it's not only what he's doing, but notice how he said earlier in chapter 1, that he spurred on all the believers that live in Rome because they see Paul so fearless. Here he is in jail, sharing with everyone that comes into his house. They think, surely we can be sharing with the freedom that we have. And so he has great impact in spurring on the believers in the church in Rome to be more bold with their faith. Paul kept preaching the good news to the very end of his life. And so I think we're only left wondering, what happens After this, where does the story continue? Well, of course, that story is the story of the church for the last two millennium. The last 2,000 years, Acts 29 and 30 and beyond have continued to be written as we hold out the word of life, even up to here in Australia. We know this story kept going or we wouldn't be sitting here today. 
Paul's faithfulness in witnessing led to others witnessing and they passed it on to the next and the next generation and the gospel spread not just around the Roman Empire but to every corner of the earth over the last two millennia. That is God's story. And the story will continue until Christ's return and wraps up this world. When we've been commissioned to continue in Paul's footsteps, the risen Christ continues to sit on the right hand of the Father, directing his mission in this world, spurring his people, empowering them by his spirit that they might continue to share. And this explains why the book of Acts finishes as it does. If it was a biography of Paul, we'd be like, come on, Luke. You know, you need to talk about how he died a couple of years later. You can't just leave that out and just finish with him sitting in the room talking to people about the gospel. Yes, you can, because the message of the book of Acts is about the spreading of the good news. It's about Acts 1.8 being fulfilled. The Lord Jesus said that the gospel would be shared in Jerusalem and to all Judea and to Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And at one level that has happened in Paul's lifetime in 30 years. The gospel has gone all the way from Jerusalem to Rome to the heart of the empire and it will continue to go out from the heart of the empire to all of the known world in the decades and centuries that would follow. It is a story about the gospel going out and therefore it's a story about the character of God, that he is a missionary God, that his great intent is to see all people throughout the world hear the news and for those to be drawn into relationship with him, be included in his family, for disciples of all nations to be made. So as we think about that today, sitting in Wollongong in 2023, there are huge implications. This tells us the purpose of the church for one thing, right? But it also shows that we as individuals have a role in sharing that good news still, there are so many implications for us as individuals and collectively as a church community. Let me just give you two. At this time of the year, as we approach Christmas, this is one of the best periods of the year, if not number one, for people being open to hearing the good news. We're going to have a carols event again next Sunday. You could be inviting people to that this week with the postcards that we have out in the foyer or just by word of mouth chatting to them, or to our Christmas Eve service or our Christmas Day service. Every year we deliberately make all of these services evangelistic because we know that so many visitors come this time of the year. Why is that? Well, because Australians are more relaxed, they're more open at Christmas than they are at any other time. They're often going to have holidays, they might be receiving holiday pay, they're thinking about time with family, they're a bit more open to those conversations that they seem so closed to at other parts of the year. Carol services are one of the few things that Australians will readily say yes to, whereas they won't say yes to coming to a service in many other times of the year. It's a great opportunity. And whether they come to something here at church or not, there's great opportunities for you as you share with your neighbours and family and friends at those gatherings that will happen over these next few weeks to be speaking about your faith with them. Such an opportunity at this time of the year. We want to be bold like the Apostle Paul. Don't lose those opportunities. Keep sharing the good news. Next Sunday will be a great time in the evening uh, with lots of food and fun before the carols. Be part of that. Commit to that yourself and try and invite others along. Secondly, this is also why we're committing to planting a church in Calderwood next year. There's going to be 50,000 people between Kembla Grange 
and Tullambar eventually. That's a huge corridor of growth. There's already several thousand people in that stretch, but many more will be placed there and build houses over the next 10 years. We need, along with other churches, to be reaching into those areas. There are so many people to have opportunity to be part of a local church. And so we want to be part of that. That's part of our responsibility of thinking about the Illawarra as a church that can be concerned about using the resources that God has blessed us with so that others might be drawn into God's family. And so how might you be involved in that? Well, please pray for that. Um, We'll be more details in the new year, but as we run up to Christmas, please be praying for all the plans towards that next year, praying that God will raise up a core team here at WBC to be part of that to the south. Think about whether you might be able to financially support that. We'll talk about that more in the next year, but we're going to fundraise more in the month of March next year as we think about how to be best prepared um, financially for that church plant to start. There'll be opportunities to give at that time. But thirdly, think about going. If you live to the south, if you live anywhere from Berkeley or Farnborough Heights south, it's just as far to drive to Wollongong north as it is to drive south to Calderwood. Once it gets equidistant, it's worth thinking about, right? Be part of that consideration of whether you might be part of the plant next year. Think about that. Pray about that over Christmas and the new year. We'll speak about that more and formalise those things more clearly next year. But we're looking for a team of 50 or 60 people or more to be part of that work. God's mission heart means that we'll be concerned about those in Wollongong, those in Calderwood, those around the world. And so we want to be taking part, part of the responsibility, but also the privilege as God's people is to share the good news, to be his ambassadors, to know that the risen Lord Jesus is continuing to direct his mission. And it didn't stop at Acts 28. It's been going on for the last 2,000 years, and we are to be part of it as well. If God's placing that on your heart to be more involved, to be more upfront about your faith at this Christmas period, then please continue to pray and step out. Don't let these moments pass by. Let's not just be passengers in God's work in this world, but be actively part of what he is doing, seeing more people drawn wonderfully into his family so that we may have the joy of sharing eternity with those who are around us week by week. Let me pray for us. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your faithfulness through the apostles and the early church, men and women just like us gathering here today, sharing the hope that they have. Lord, help us to see the responsibility we have to hold out the word of life that you have given to us and helped us to understand. Lord, help us to see that what our world continues to need is the good news of salvation offered through your Son, the Lord Jesus. Help us to be about him and his kingdom. Help us to see the opportunities that you will place right in front of us in this season and grant us the boldness to take hold of them. For we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.